STEMQ New England Northwest brings together expertise in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics from across the region. I'm Dr. James O'Hanlon, and here on the STEMQ podcast, you'll be hearing from leaders in industry, community, government, and universities about the groundbreaking innovations that are happening right here in regional New South Wales. This podcast is recorded on Anaiwan country at the University of New England in Armadale. Welcome back to another episode of Stories of STEMQ. This episode, I'm joined by Dr. Joe Bird from the University of New England. Joe, thanks for joining me on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. Now, you're working in uh, research areas of uh, how children play with technology. That's a very broad uh, description. So what sorts of technology are we talking about here? Uh, Any technology. So... How I got into it was I did a Master's of Education that looked at children's use or activities on digital devices in a preschool setting. And we had iPads, computers, digital cameras and digital video cameras and the children just used them and I collected data and saw what they did. And from there I realised that they did a lot of imaginative play with the technologies So I moved on to a PhD and looked at children's imaginative play with what I called in the start working and non-working digital technologies. And that included everything, so iPads, computers, robots, cameras. Um, But also in early childhood, we often give children um, broken technologies or what I was calling non-working technologies and we'd give them to them and they'd play in either the home corner or somewhere in the in the preschool and they had to put their imagination into it so it might have just been a keyboard and they pretended that was a computer so once they put their imagination into it it became a real device so in the home corner they um, had phones and pretend iPads and sometimes they would make them in the pasting area and bring them into the home corner and pretend they were looking up a recipe on a cardboard iPad. And so that's what I looked at and the imaginative play around that. So it got me really keen on how children play with devices. Small kids and playing with devices might be setting some people's shackles are raising. It's it's a bit of a contentious topic. Uh, Let's start with, I guess, the the downsides of it. Why is it a contentious topic? Okay, so it's a contentious topic because of the research around what technologies do to children's brains and how it can stimulate them, especially trying to get them into bed after, you know, using a device or watching TV and things like that. Um, But one of the things I always look at is that the screen time guidelines say no technologies for children under two. So does that mean you don't take your baby anywhere that has a screen? Supermarkets have screens. You know, a lot of cafes, they use iPads, phones, things like that to take your order. So if you're not taking your baby into those places, you might actually avoid screens for that baby. But if you're actually a social person who takes their baby everywhere, they're going to be exposed to screens. And with the guidelines, it says only two hours for children aged two to five. And it says for entertainment purposes. And I've always argued that children's play is actually a learning situation and they're actually in an education situation. So that sort of can go above those two hours of entertainment. 
One of the things with screen time guidelines is lately we've been looking at what the children actually do rather than the time they spend on a device. So you can't compare a child sitting there watching TV, not moving for two hours, or a child that has maybe an iPad who's doing an activity, who's getting up, who's moving, who's dancing, watching the screen, learning about dinosaurs, pretending to be a dinosaur, acting out being a dinosaur. That's very different to just sitting there watching a screen. So we need to think about what they're actually doing rather than the time. But having said that, yes, the time. If they're going to sit there um, on a device continuously not moving for several hours, then that's something people, whether it's educators or parents, need to think about. And like you said, the very beginning, you were also looking at kids playing with non-working technology, so a dead phone. Yep. They're they're kind of playing with that in the same way that they would play with a stick or a chair or something. So is, uh, is it right that in their minds at that age, this device is no different to any other object? Exactly. And children mimic what they see happening in their world. So if they see their parent talking on a mobile phone, they're going to act out the same thing. Whether they have a mobile phone that they can access, whether they have a toy one, or in the case of my boys, I've got a photo of one of my boys holding a wooden play iron and he's holding it up to his ear and he's talking. <laughs> like it's clearly not a phone, but but he's talking as if it is a phone. Um, TV remotes are another one that they like because they can push buttons on them and then they hold them up to their ear. And babies, you know, sort of eight, nine, ten months old can reenact what their parents are doing because they're seeing what their parents are doing. And... People often say to me, oh, but I don't do things in front of my child. And I had a great example in my PhD research where the children were playing with um, X-Display model mobile phones. So they had a screen picture with all the apps on it and they had all the the buttons and things. And one girl uh, recorded her friends dancing and then she said, oh, I'm just going to post this to Facebook. Hold on a second. And she, you know, sat there and went, did it, did it. And I thought, oh, this will be interesting. And I said, oh, can you tell me how you post to Facebook? And she went through step by step on how to post to Facebook. This was a four year old. <laughs> so when her mother arrived that day, I said to her mother, ah, do you realize your daughter can post to Facebook? And the mother said, no, I never post in front of her. Like, she's never used Facebook. She wouldn't know what it's all about. And I'm like, well, she does. So we called her over and said, can you take a photo of us on her mother's phone and post it to Facebook? (laughs) So she went in, took the photo, clicked on the Facebook link and uploaded it. She wrote gobbledygook and that's fine for a four-year-old. And she posted it. And the mother was gobsmacked. Mm. Like, she just stood there going, I had no idea that she knew what to do just from watching I mean, we're both sitting here talking as parents of young children, so we're, I think we're both learning how they are little little security cameras <laughs> with legs. They see and, <laughs> and take in everything you do. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so I guess it's easy to see how there can be imagination play with a, a phone that's not working or a brick or an iron or whatever. How then is there imaginative play with a piece of technology that is working, doesn't it? Doesn't it dictate what by whatever game or device they're playing with? It it can and it does. And some apps and devices lead themselves better to um, imaginative play. But also 
children need to learn the function functions of a device before they can use it in imaginative play. And I did write an article with my then supervisor um, about the digital play framework that looked at the behaviours children go through when they're learning to use a device. And it relates back to Corrine Hutt's work on um, the novel object, where if you give children an object they've never seen before, they spend the first however many sessions getting to know that object. So they're asking the question, what can this object do? So they try it, play with it, and then they get to a point where they know how to use the object, so then they use it in imaginative play. And it's the same with devices. When we gave um, the video cameras and cameras to the children, it took them a while to work out how to record, how to actually frame the video so they weren't chopping people's heads off or taking photos of people's feet. So it took them a while and then they started recording things that we could or I could use for data. Um, So they had to learn the device before they could use it in either an imaginative way or, for my case, in a way to collect data. So they do need to practice on some of those apps where they're moving things around, rescaling and things like that. And then they might start being more imaginative. And there's a lot of apps out there that encourage imaginative play. So whether that be one of the Lego ones where they can build something and create a story and take lots of photos and then it becomes a video, or whether it be... um, Some of the things like there's My Dollhouse, uh, My Playhouse, which is a doll's house, um, and they can act out things um, through that. So it's similar, nearly the same as a physical dollhouse, but it's actually on a digital technology. So they can move the people around, they can brush their teeth, they go to the toilet, they flush the toilet, they have a shower, um, they feed the pets, they put dishes in the dishwasher and things so they can act out exactly what happens in a house. We mentioned early on too some of these the downsides that technology can bring there, the way it can affect kids' ability to, to socialise or read emotions and those things. Do we know that that's more likely with sort of passive consumption of, of media on these technologies or is it too early days to tell? Where are we at with that? Well, one of the things with um, my master's research was one of the findings that was really, really strong was that social, the social interactions around the devices was the second most common thing, theme within my data analysis. Mm. And that really surprised me um, because everyone says that an iPad is a you know, solitary device. Well, actually it's not. I have many videos and photos of one child on the device and however many friends all standing around behind cheering them on, you know, (laughs) learning what's going on, giving them suggestions and hints and things like that. And in my PhD research, um, when I was looking at the computers and the children stood behind and watched, what they were doing was learning from the other children how to complete a level or do an activity and, and learn things. So when it was their turn, they sat down and sort of skipped through what the other child had done and then moved on and, you know, into the part where they weren't sure how to, how to do it. Mm. And they encouraged each other and, and talked about it. Another one was a um, computer game that had a whole heap of instruments and you could choose which instrument and you picked the animal to play the instrument and then you could create this whole band. And some children didn't, didn't know the names of different instruments, whereas other children were like, oh, I know that one's a you know, saxophone or I know that's a piano or whatever it was. And so then the children were actually socialising and learning from each other, which happens all the time in early childhood. 
I've noticed this watching teenagers lately. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, you know, we can sort of roll our eyes at teenagers and their phones and that kind of stuff. But when you see them in a group, hmm. they're all sitting there together and they've all got their phones out in front of them, but they're still talking and they're interacting almost using the phones as an enhancement to the conversation they're having because they're showing things back and forth and 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 extra- interacting digitally as well as just with their just voices and, and gestures and things. And it's made me think about the way I use a phone, and I don't think I can do that. I think when I've got a phone out, it, it takes away all my attention so I can't interact <laughs> with people. And I wonder if it's because I didn't have that play stage with technologies as a kid yeah and and it is very different because they are growing up in a society where you know technologies are there phones are there um i remember when we first had a phone when i was growing up and wanting to talk to my high school friends you had to sit by the phone and the cord only Mm. stretched so far and it wasn't out of the room that the phone was located in we didn't even have you know like the cordless phones at that stage we were attached to the phone so you couldn't (laughs) go anywhere and and things like that now I look at it and think well I don't actually have a home phone I only have my my mobile phone that goes everywhere with me um and so and children like four-year-olds they have never seen you know, most places haven't got home phones, so they've never seen a home phone. Mm. They've never seen ones that you have to actually spin the numbers around to dial, you mm. know, a number and and things. So they've just never experienced it. It's a bit like um, I kept calling them digital cameras and digital video cameras and the children would just call it the camera and the <laughs> video camera because they didn't know why I was always saying digital because to me there's analogue and there's digital. Mm. Um, and now what we're finding is children pick up a phone and know how to get to the camera they just think it's a function of the device of of the phone Mm. rather than that you have something that is a whole camera and all it does is take photos it doesn't go on the internet doesn't make calls it doesn't show you a map of where to go it's literally just a camera they don't they don't understand that like because they've never experienced it. it's not what's in their understanding i often wonder if we're gonna have like a history repeating itself like you hear a lot about vinyl becoming trendy again and lots of people wanting to listen to music on vinyl will kids start going out and buying film cameras and corded phones or something yeah yep and hasn't i'm not sure what brand it is brought back a, a flip phone yeah they brought back a flip phone like didn't we go past that but yes they yeah things will come back might come back so we talked about the idea that you can use these devices to just consume something be it a a movie or music or whatever you could also use them to play with different maybe different games or apps but then i guess you could also use them to create Mm -hmm. as well yes definitely and and let's go through some examples like what what and how how is it how does that type of play differ from say imaginative play Yep. So I often encourage people to think about using devices in different ways. So not just putting it there and having a nap that they can sit there and play with, but to if they're building something or playing something that they can record it and make their own video and then take it home and show their parents and their friends and, mm-hmm. and things like that. I'm currently doing a research project around children playing with robots and we've been videoing um, as part of the data collection and today we hooked up 
a laptop to play the videos back so the children can see themselves on TV. And part of our reason was they were asking what we were recording, even though we'd explained to them, but showing them the actual videos is a way of them understanding a bit more and also seeing themselves on TV is a bit exciting. Um, and for some children it was exciting. Some children were like, oh, I don't want to see myself anymore. And I'm like, yeah, I'm with you, um, which is fine. Um and things. So encouraging them to be creators. So teaching them apps like um, Storybook Creator and things like that, where they could take a photo of their block building, um, tell a story and then create something else or video each other playing some kind of thing and then making a video or a book to send home to show family or show each other and things like that. So being those creators. Is it easy to convince people that these are creative tools? I imagine lots of people would think, no, creative tools are paint and pencils and pianos. How do you, how do you bridge that gap? Yeah, I once presented at a conference and someone came up to me afterwards and said, I don't see the point in taking photos of your artwork and not just put your artwork up on the wall. And I said, but how do you carry your artwork with you? Mm. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, it's a bit hard to roll up all these artworks and carry them, you know, home and show parents or take them to visit grandparents and pull out all these massive, you know, A3 size paintings. Whereas if you're taking photos and you're showing it on an iPad, you take your iPad with you, it's only an iPad size and you can quite easily show and you could create a story. You can see, you know, a progression in a child's artwork. If you start taking photos of their artwork from the first day of the year right through up until the end of the year and you looked at it as a progressive thing and you can see that development in their their artwork so there is benefits in using technologies around art um, you can also add to the art so if you take a draw a picture or you know paint a picture and take a photo then you can add in you know little bees and things like that over the top of it and create like a digital artwork on top of a you know a painted artwork so there is, there is options. There's also a whole suite of creative tools that are mm-hmm. unique to technology, like just coding and, and computational thinking. Do people get how they can be creative or is that still seen as, I don't, I don't know, techie? <laughs> um, it's still seen as techie and that's part of um, the project we're doing at the moment. We're about to do a professional learning with the educators because of where Um, The preschool rooms located, most educators walk through at some stage during the day and have seen myself there with the children playing with these robots um, and they know about the project and things like that. So tonight we're actually going to present the robots to the educators how we would to the (laughs) children. So it'll be really interesting to see how they go. Um, And my project's called um, Preschoolers Can Code. Um, and they can code. Um, we don't often use the word code to the children, um, but it is about coding. They are coding. Um, and they're doing some really creative and amazing things in the project. Um, we've had um, Cubeto, we attach textures to it and then code Cubeto to move around the paper and do a drawing. Um, one of the children the other day, because Cubeto ran out of batteries, picked up one of the blue bots and added textures to that and then started drawing because that one's a rechargeable one. So as soon as it runs out of batteries, it gets thrown on the recharger and it's good to go, you know, shortly after. Um, So he was being really creative and problem solving Mm. and things like that. And you just go, wow, I didn't actually think of that. But, you know, here's a four-year-old thinking about that. So (laughs) it's great. We've had children that 
um, in the start wanted to program uh, the Beebot to go under a bridge um, and she successfully did that and I said okay let's put two bridges together at right angles so you go through the first one come out and then turn and go through the second one and it took her a while but she eventually coded the robot to do that and mm. you know got quite excited and several other children came over to encourage her and give her suggestions and things like that so it became a real social thing but also it was really good watching her complete that task and get very excited when she did. I should explain for people listening we're talking about you know toddlers using robots and coding and stuff but we want to make sure what what does this actually looks like these aren't androids stomping around the room what what are these robots? No so um a beebot is a little bee-shaped um, robot that has eyes at the front, makes a bit of noise if you turn the noise button on. Um, <laughs> and it has buttons on the top that make it go forwards, backwards, left and right. It also has a clear button and a pause button. Um, so the clear button, as we explained to children, um, makes it forget, forget all the instructions you've given it. So you press the clear button to start with or else your bobot, robot may end up anywhere. The blue bots are similar, but they actually have Bluetooth in them. So you can use an app on an iPad and you can also use what's called a tactile reader where you put the instructions into the tactile reader and then send it to the blue bot. The other one is Cubetto, which is a, a square robot that has a face on the front and it has a coding board that you put different shaped pieces in and coloured pieces um, to give it the instructions, and then you press the play button, it sends it to Cubetto, and Cubetto moves. Well, part of the thing that we do, we have different mats, and there's one that's a space, there's one that's a farm, another one's pirates, another one's Australia, shapes, letters, and things like that. So getting the children to code the robot to do certain things. Um, the other day we were doing our names. My name's really easy, and on the alphabet, <laughs> the alphabet mat, um, J and O were actually next to each other, which makes it really simple. Um, and then we were thinking of other names and other words and things like that, and we were coding the different different words. And mm. so the children don't realise they're coding, um, and they're quite quite clever at coding the robot and problem solving when they press make it go left instead of making it go right and things like that and working out where they've gone wrong. Yeah, we should explain the, the coding part of it. They're not sitting there at a terminal typing in no. lines of command. <laughs> no, definitely not. They're either pressing buttons on the back of the B-Bot or the Bluebot, or they're putting in coloured blocks into a coding board that explains to the, the robot what to do. And, and these toys are designed not to be just like, they're not remote control type things where you press left and it goes left and press right you go right it's more like you load them up with instructions yes yes well you can just do left and, and right like that yeah um but yeah you do more than one instruction um with cubetto it has a limited number of instructions and then it actually also has a function key which has another bit that if you put the function key in it sends it down the bottom and it has another option to put a few more and you can repeat that so you can put you know four function keys in a row and then have all straights so it might go forwards and usually end up off the mat is what the children like to do mm. especially when we had the textures attached and and things they'd code up um, cubetto and all of a sudden cubetto would be going off the mat and drawing on the floor which um, wasn't the best but we <laughs> <laughs> grab them and quick grab it and put it back on the mat um, on the paper so it was and that's when you get to talk 
with kids about debugging your code. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, and they're, they're words that we probably don't use with four-year-olds. <laughs> we probably could, and that's yeah. part of the thing when children are ready for that next instruction that we're actually, you know, we're debugging or we're working out, you know, where it's gone wrong. And we talk to children about can, can you work out in the instructions which one went wrong and which one sent it hitting off off the mat rather than where you wanted it to go. So they're still learning those concepts, but they're not learning them in the words that we would normally use. Yeah. I imagine this is, you know, big picture thinking, this is going to be really important for you know, things like future skills in a digital world, having yep. kids that are, or people that aren't just using technology and are, are consuming technology, but controlling it. As it's, opposed to it controlling them. <laughs> yes, which I think, you know, and I, I hate to say it, but the older generation, you know, computers are these special, amazing things that we have to be gentle and careful with, whereas children just go, ah, it's another thing that I can play with and let's see what it does. And they're not so fussed about breaking it or, mm. you know, doing the wrong thing and they seem to just work it out. Um, yeah, so that yeah, is an interesting, interesting one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've talked a lot about uh, teaching digital literacy to kids and people in general. Are we past that? I feel. <laughs> are we are we into an era of digital natives where it's just a, a thing that kids know how to do? Um, the yeah, the digital natives, digital immigrant is an interesting one because not all children are interested in like coding the robots in this project or being on an iPad or even, you know, watching TV for hours on end. Um, so some children will be really interested and they'll spend the time and they'll understand it. Um, but at the same time, there's some that just go, oh, yeah, well, the robots, oh, yeah, Joe's here, great, off we go and go mm -hmm. outside and play. Um, so, yeah, so it is a sort of a different one. I think the children still need some teaching in terms of digital literacy and bringing in other skills like sharing, helping each other, you know, talking to each other, explaining to another child that may not come to the centre every day, so they're only seeing the robots maybe one day a week and another child comes five days a week, so their skills have, um, you know, increased. Mm. So actually getting them to teach other other children how to use the robots and, and what they can try and, and things like that builds up some of those other skills, the softer skills that um, we often focus on in early childhood um, and things. So, yeah, I'm not sure yeah, whether children will leave early childhood and go off to school with, you know, digital literacy as a whole package. I think it's an ongoing thing. Mm. Um, and, yeah. And obviously we're talking about all this in terms of your own research in uh, a coordinated educational setting in an actual early childhood centre. Yep. But of course, this continues on whenever the kids get home, and it's up to parents to manage these things. Yep. What's what's uh, is it is it as simple as you know? What are some do's and don'ts of, <laughs> of technology at home? <laughs> oh, that's an interesting one, and um, because I've been researching technologies. Um, for well, I don't know how many years now but quite a few years and I have nearly two and a half year olds and I had all these ideas on technology use and 
you know, good home behaviours. And if you've ever <laughs> met me before children, I've probably, you know, said what I thought. I then had my twins who are two boys. One's very into technologies, the other one's not so fast. Um, and some of the things I've had to reconsider and think about is my technology use and what I'm showing them mm. and also what they're just picking up from the environment that we're in. They were born during COVID times, which meant we were doing a lot of FaceTime, a lot of Zoom meetings. Often the iPad was up on the table and we'd be sitting in what I called the cage where they'd be playing. And, <laughs> you know, grandparents would be on the screen, you know, chatting to them and things like that. So thinking about that effect on children has changed some of my ideas around technology use at home. But in having said that, there are a few things that I make sure that we follow. One of them is when we're having a meal, sitting down together, that we actually talk and communicate and socialise. We don't sit there, not that they have phones or anything like that, but <laughs> I'm really conscious of not having my phone there um, and trying to keep off it as much as I can. Um, realistically, sometimes that doesn't happen, um, but being conscious that I'm spending time with the boys um, but there are also times where we take videos being silly, doing, you know, jack in the box or whatever it is, and then we play them and things like that. So being conscious about that whole what are we doing mm -hmm. with the technology? Is it just, you know, mum sitting there on the phone ignoring the boys or is it doing something interactive, that creating sort mm -hmm. of side of creating videos that we're watching back or taking funny videos, um, funny photos and things and having a look at them and things like that. So being conscious about it. Um, I, I do put the TV on so I can cook dinner mm. um, and things like that. I put the TV on in the morning so I can have a shower, yeah. <laughs> usually in peace. Um, things like that, you know, and people talk about technologies being the babysitter. Um, and I admit that, yes, I use it as a babysitter, but I don't leave it on all day. It's not something that just becomes background. Um, we do turn it off. Um, I make sure that it's at least turned off an hour before bedtime and we don't have any screens in that hour just so they're starting to relax and calm down and can, can sleep, which the research has shown that does help children be able to sleep. So there are things that... You know, I, I do and I'm very conscious about um, in terms of the technologies, but I'm not, you know, definitely no technologies. Um, I think I would go crazy if that was the case <laughs> um, and things, yeah. Yeah, I think COVID was a, a big wake-up call for how useful mm. <laughs> the odd little bit of TV can be. <laughs> Absolutely. Just, <laughs> mummy needs to go to the toilet in peace. We watch the TV for five minutes, yes. But I think yeah. I feel like it always comes down to as long as it's being done intentionally, like you could sit and watch an entire movie together and interactively, right? Yep, yep. And I have a colleague um, who's from the UK. Her PhD looked at um, what children do around watching, you know, um, different programs. And she found that children don't just sit and passively take on the program. They go outside and start being the characters or they interact with it so if they're watching something like in Australia it would be wiggles they get up and dance um, mm. they're not just sitting there watching the wiggles dance they get up and actually interact and, and dance um, my boys have found blippy which I'm not sure 
is a popular one. Um, the voice is really <laughs> annoying, so it's not mummy's favourite, but it's actually quite educational and they love dinosaurs and he happens to go to a few places in America and looks at dinosaurs and they've been learning the names of dinosaurs and, you know, I just look at it and go, well, I'm saying half these dinosaur names wrong, whereas they're learning it from someone who I hope actually knows um, and they're learning things. So it's not just passively sitting there watching. They, we turn the TV off and then have dinner and they start telling me about the dinosaurs they've learnt about and, mm. you know, and they went and got their actual dinosaurs and can recognise which dinosaurs are which and attempt to say their names and things like that and they're two and a half. Mm. So, you know, if they're doing that for the next two years, what are they going to be like at four and a half in terms of dinosaurs? Hmm. <laughs> Speaking of looking into the future, <laughs> I want to, I guess, finish up by... I don't know, maybe asking you to gaze into a crystal ball or something because we hear a lot about, you know, kids and devices and it's the end of the world. But then we also hear that actually, no, there are amazing tools that people do amazing things with. What's your take? Are the kids, are they going to be fine? <laughs> I'm Definitely they're going to be fine. I think they're actually, we're building them up to be people who are interested in changing the world and making it better and things like that. Um, I've recently written a book chapter about technologies in nature um, for a nature playbook. And I worked with a local educator and we talked about how she uses it in her project, in her program and with the children. And it was quite interesting the number of apps that she uses to build the children's knowledge and how the children now you know, find something out outside and they take a photo of it and then they want to know what it is, what its habitat is, what it eats, how can we protect it, you know, and by encouraging them to be like that and to think about their world because it will be their world and using technologies in a positive way. So I think we are empowering them to be, to improve things. Um, I'm hoping that that's, that's <laughs> the case in terms of technologies, definitely not going away. Um, and I think in terms of 21st century skills, um, the creativity and problem solving and also the soft skills around interacting with others is what we focus on in early childhood. So if we continue to do that, hopefully these children will be, you know, have those skills to lead the 21st century. And probably in ways that we can't even quite picture yet. No. And we won't know until yeah, we see it. Absolutely. But hopefully we're preparing them to question things and problem solve and and things hopefully <laughs> i'm sure we are it's <laughs> <laughs> a great point to end on joe thanks so much for joining me on the podcast no worries thank you thanks for joining me here on the stem q podcast stay tuned to hear more stories as we work to empower stem innovation through the stem q precinct